0: Well, good morning. It's so our kiddos head out to children's church, uh, let me remind you. So, th- if you are newer or it's your first time in a long time, if you happen to have um, a smartphone and you like to take notes on there, so if you pull up the Bible app, also knows like, I think the app store, the U you version, Y O U version, the Bible app. If you go to events on the bottom tab and then you go to live, you will find the notes for the sermon and the. the we try to put them there each and every week. If that's helpful for you, you can email yourself the notes. If that's helpful for you, uh, go ahead and, and use that. Also, one quick correction from our bulletin. Just trying to change this up for Awana tonight. The cubbies, for parents picking up the little ones, the cubbies, they will be picked up in the gym. So we're going to have to try to get them all in here. Sorry, no, scratch that. I did not say that out loud. It's not recorded for all time. Um, <laughs> everybody's going to be in the chapel. The teens will be in the gym. So all children will meet at the end in the chapel. Today we start off our series on the book of Matthew. So if you would turn to Matthew chapter 1. The time of year is a time of beginnings. The school year started back up. People's vacations are done, unfortunately, and you're back to a new season of work. College football has started back up. I don't know if anybody here watches college football. If you see people in tears today, you knew that last night they were probably watching college football. The NFL season just kicked off with a fantastic start uh, fantastic <laughs> <laughs> fantastic start uh things are new school years starting back up for us even at the church we mentioned earlier today awana program starting back up ukulele choir starting next week and if you play guitar you're welcome to come ukes and guitars start back up next week small groups are starting back up ladies bible studies starting tomorrow Alright, just make sure i'm getting it right even here in our text today we start with a new beginning before we get into Matthew, let me ask you a Bible question. How does the Bible, the Bible start in your English translation? Going back to the very first chapter, how does it start? In the, in the beginning. It's the beginning of what? beginning of the world. Well, look at Matthew chapter 1, verse number 1. It states the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That word genealogy in, in, in the Greek. You want to guess what that word is? In in Greek, it's the word Genesis. It's actually the word, it just, it's Genesis. The Genesis of Jesus, the Christ, the beginning. This is not to say he's not always been, because he has always been. But we're going to tell the story of him becoming man, and how he becomes our Savior. It is the story of the new beginning for us. Also on the top of the page, you're going to most likely read something to the effect like the gospel according to Matthew. You'll get to Mark, the gospel according to Mark, and then Luke and John. So just for those of you, if if you're newer to church and you're wondering why are there four different gospels, there are not four different gospels. There is one gospel. The gospel just means the good news that Jesus saves. That's the good news. Gospel means literally good news. The good news is Jesus saves came to die for sinners. He can save you. He can save me. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. So the gospel, according to, is just this is from a viewpoint, a vantage point. Have you ever read a—so we, we were at um, in D.C. this summer, and we saw Ford Theater where Abraham Lincoln was shot, and you go across to where he died, and they have—I don't know if you've been there the last year or two— they have this tower of books written about Abraham Lincoln. I don't know if you knew this. There's more than one. from more than one vantage point. It's it's like 30, 40, 50 feet high of books that have been written about Abraham Lincoln. Here we have four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, written from different eyewitness observations and accounts. So you get to Luke, and it's gonna be a lot more surgical as a doctor, and he's almost as a journalist trying to walk you through it. Matthew was one of his disciples. So you're getting not a different gospel from the different person. You're just getting, this is the story from my vantage point as I'm trying to collect it and put it together for you. So when was this book written? There's debate over this, but somewhere in mid-50s to late-60s. There's not certainty if it was the first. There's debate over which gospel was written first. R.T. France, in his, in his book, uh, Matthew Evangelist and Teacher, or Matthew Evangelist and Pastor, wrote, um, argues, I think, for Matthew being the first. Most people are heading towards Mark. But Matthew was certainly used most often, it seems, by the early church fathers. And even, it seems that it made its way into Turkey uh, by, I think Barnabas is traditionally supposed to have taken there, but left a copy of Matthew. And then when other brothers came there, they realized the Gospel of Matthew's already been circulated. So to whom was this written? The audience of Matthew's Gospel is God's chosen people, the Jews. Look back at verse 1. The book of the Genesis of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. We're going to get into this chapter more, Lord willing, next week. But it's the beginning of Jesus. This is the name Yeshua, means Jehovah saves. Aptly named. The next word is the Christ. It is the, that means the anointed one. Or in the Hebrew, you would say The Messiah. So every time you read, see, are you the Christ? They're asking, Are you the Messiah? He is Jehovah Saves, the Messiah, the anointed one, and it continues, the son of David. He is the coming king. He's the son of David. He's also the son of Abraham. He's the son of promise. This book is going to be speaking to, and so when just think through just those terms, those terms are going to be ringing in the ears of Jewish people. This is who? Jehovah saves, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Are you kidding me? Yes, we're telling you the truth. This is exactly who we're talking about. Every single one of these words would have made sense to them and would have run clearly in their own hearts. Today we're not going to walk through all 28 chapters, so take a good breath, but today we're going to be doing a sneak peek of the entire book. Lord willing, next week it, we will start in chapter 1 and start working more in sections. But we're going to look at it over here. There's a few things I think that you need to note as we head into the book. First, I want you though to see an outline. We'll see this on our next slide here. This is a crude approximate outline. So if you're going to be specific, you might say that one section ends like 3 verses earlier, but just basics. If you would like an outline, so Pastor Ethan and I were just at a conference on the book of Matthew by a fellow named D.A. Carson. He's pretty smart. But um, we have these down here. We asked him if we could copy these. He said yes. And so they're down here. If you need more, we can get them to you. But that'll give you an analytical outline of the entire book. It will help you when you read. I promise you, it will help you when you read, because you're going to start seeing like, oh, wait. I'm seeing a pattern here. It's almost like there's intentionality. Like Yes. Yeah. Right. It's good. But this is An outline that I think will help you There's the chapters 1 through 3 We're going to have an introduction We're at the end There's going to be a conclusion The Passion Week leading up to the death of Jesus His burial resurrection And his sending of the disciples But in between there are these five sections There are those that think these five sections Will mimic the five books of the Torah There are five there There's five here That people thinking Matthew's doing this intentionally for his audience that he's splitting it up this way. But first, you're going to have a narrative in section one, and then a discourse, a, a teaching time. What's Matthew 5 through 7 known as? The Sermon on the Mount. So then you're going to have another narrative section, 8 through 9, and then another discourse. Then you going to have another narrative section, and then another discourse. And 13 is just all parables. And then another narrative section, and then a discourse, chapter 18. Then another narrative section, 19 through 23, and then what's known as the Olivet Discourse in chapters 24 and 25. So when you're looking for these sermons you're going to see in the other Gospels snippets of what Jesus says back and forth, back and forth. Matthew's compiling entire sermons and putting them here for you to read. Just like you could go today and and find numerous copies of Charles Spurgeon's sermon that he preached back in whatever year. Matthew's presenting to you, here's here's an entire sermon, Matthew 5-7. through So hopefully this will help you. And for those of you frantically trying to scribble all this down, again, grab an outline. That will help you out on the way out. You can copy it as you go. Another way to understand the flow of the book. So this will stay up here, relax. Another way to understand the flow of the book, turn to Matthew 4:17. There are two, as one of, one of my professors pointed out, there are two turning points in the book of Matthew. And these will help you gauge, again, a different breakdown of the book, of where we are headed. Look at Matthew 4, verse number 17. We will be flipping a lot of pages, so get them ready. Get your fingers ready. In Matthew 4, Jesus faces temptation from the devil. Matthew gives us a turning point following that. Look at Matthew 4, 17. From that time, so now the temptation's over, from that time forward, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So from that time, the temptation, moving forward, this is going to be a synopsis of what he's going to be doing in his public ministry. He's preaching, "Repent for the kingdom of heaven," is at hand. Jesus will continue that message, flip over to chapter 16, until chapter 16. Flip over to chapter 16, verse 21. In Matthew 16, 21, we look at verse number 21. And it says here, oh, let me go back to verse 16. Because of the first one, we had a, in Matthew 4, Jesus, this under great distress, goes through these trials and temptations. Matthew 16, prior to this turning point, there's no distress. There's actually a huge highlight. In Matthew, in Matthew 16, 16, we have what's called the great confession. Peter shouts out to Jesus, you are the Christ Christ the Son of the living God. We're ending on a high note here. Then verse number 21, from that time, so again, now we have a new time marker, a new turning point. From that time, Jesus began to show His disciples, so so now we're we're moving. We're switching from repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, to now what is He going to do? That He must go to Jerusalem and suffer and many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So from then this point on, chapter 16, moving forward through his death, burial, and resurrection, this is going to be, again, this focus. So you can kind of see his his public earthly ministry, and then you kind of see this leading up to and the actual cross, death, burial, resurrection. So there are a few more things that you need to pay attention to uh, in the book. We're going to walk through some. Let me give it, again, it's not all of them. It's not comprehensive but let me give you some that I think will help you as you read to discern the book of Matthew. So in our next slide here, first, the titles of Christ. Look for the titles of Christ. We, we've already mentioned some, Yeshua, Jesus. He is Jehovah's Saves. He is the Messiah, the Anointed One. But there are others, Son of God. Look for the phrase, Son of God, used eight times in the book. This title is often used to speak of the one from the Davidic line in the Old Testament, the Son of God. Son of David, 10 times. In this book, you'll read the phrase son of David. Thirty times you'll read the phrase son of man. So we learned in our conference the term son of man refers back to Daniel 7:13 and referred to God's divine self-disclosure of the God man with kingly powers. So when he says son of man, he's hailing back to the book of Daniel and helping you understand this is who we're talking about. Okay? So son of David. Son of God, Son of Man. Look for those three titles. Next, look for the word kingdom. It is strewn throughout this book, the word kingdom. Fifty-four times in these 28 chapters, you're going to find the word kingdom. The New Testament uses the word kingdom 157 times. Over a third of those times are used in the book of Matthew alone. So, the word kingdom, specifically look for the phrase kingdom of heaven. So, you see that phrase 32 times in the book of Matthew. So, be looking for the titles of Christ, be looking for what he says about the kingdom. Also, pay attention to different groups found in the book. Look for four different groups religious leaders, Pharisees, Sadducees, priests. Look for the crowds, look for Gentiles. Jesus being a Jew in the first century Jews did not get along with Samaritans or Gentiles watch the unusual way Jesus interacts with them note what he says about them because when you read about great faith you're not going to have that ascribed to Jews So look for his unusual interaction with Gentiles, unusual, I should say, for that time. Um, The religious leaders, the crowds, the Gentiles, and then also those that followed him, his disciples. So look for those four groups, religious leaders, the crowds, Gentiles, and his disciples. Just because they weren't one of the twelve does not mean that they weren't one of his followers. Disciples just means those that were following him. The next one almost goes without saying, okay? Look for the word, therefore. My youth pastor always used to say, whenever you see the word, therefore, in the Bible, you ask, what is it there for? Right? You guys got that? If you've never heard it, write it down. Okay, they got tattooed into my brain when I was in high school. Whenever you see the word, therefore, ask, what is it there for? Matthew uses this word 26 times. I'm telling you, all of this Therefore, oh, oh. all of that was leading to now this point. There are some aspects of Matthew, you're like, man, that's kind of hard for me to understand. Start hunting for the word, therefore. Do not stop reading until you find that word, therefore. Because that may help you understand the very point that you're trying to understand. 26 times he uses it. He uses it uh, once in chapter 3. He uses it three times in chapters 27 and 28. But in chapters 5 through 25, in those 20 chapters, he uses it 22 times. So about every chapter you're going to see, yeah it's not one-to-one, one, but about every chapter you start seeing this, like all of this, therefore, all of this, therefore, all of this, therefore. So be looking for that word. Again, if you see the word therefore, ask, what is it there for? Okay, right. two more things to note and uh, to focus on in the book. Pay attention to coming judgment. This is not fun. To read about. Remember in the conference we were talking about, like people say, you know, I, I'm not, I believe in Jesus, but all this stuff about judgment and hell, that's not Jesus' message. His message, I mean, look at his message. Didn't we read about this in, in our scripture memory? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. They're going to be comforted. Blessed are the pure in heart. They're going to see God. That's the kind of stuff we're talking about. Be salt of the earth. Be light. Come on. Finish Jesus' sermon. Finish the rest of it. Because he did talk about the blessing of those that know him. He did command us to live in a certain way. But Jesus is unapologetic about the judgment that will befall those that rebel against him. He, he's not just unapologetic. He is blatantly loud. I mean, lo- look at 522. So again, if we you just, we just walk through the Beatitudes and get through, we're, we're still in the first third of the Sermon on the Mount. Look at 522. Got through the Beatitudes. We got through salt and earth. We got through him talking about the law. Now look at 522. Everyone, look at the very end. Everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Look at the end of the verse, it says, those liable to the hell of fire. Look at the end of 529. It is better that you lose one of your members and your whole body be thrown into hell. Flip over to chapter 7. 7, verse 19. So we're at 522, 529. Now we're heading to Matthew 7, verse 19. Matthew 7, 19. What does Jesus say? Every tree, this is still in the Sermon on the Mount, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. In the next three verses, 721 through 23, Jesus describes that there will be many that will say to his face, in 21, 20, 21 through 23, Jesus, Lord, did we, did we not prophesy in your name? Didn't we do A, B, and C? And what does he say to them at the end of 723? Depart from me, you workers, of lawlessness over 30 times in Matthew you will see words like hell, fire, judge judged or ju- judgment and you perhaps you could say but Jesus didn't mean like hell, hell, it's just kind of like this metaphorical things are bad or maybe it's like purgatory and it's just like you kind of you know you're still going to get there but it's going to be kind of like this refining fire quick note Purgatory is not in the Bible, anywhere. Secondly, Jesus wasn't speaking metaphorically. How do we know this? Because he told us about it. So again, we're not going to go through every verse, but but flip over to chapter 25. Flip over to chapter 25, in verse 41. As you're turning there, in Matthew 25, 31 31 through 46, Jesus is speaking about the future judgment to come. Judgment is coming. And so in chapter 25, verse 41, he's going to speak to the condemned. What does Jesus say to the condemned in 25, 41? Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. A couple things to notice about hell. It is an actual destination. It's an actual destination. Those that reject God, those that reject Jesus as Savior, will be sent there the next part you cursed those that go there are cursed by God into the eternal flame the flame will last forever prepared for the devil and his angels everyone listen to me hell was not made for you it was not created for you Created for the fallen angels. But if you refuse Jesus and align yourself with Satan and his angels, you will meet the same fate. Friday night, we were at a game, football game here in town. And I was there to see the cutest cheerleaders in the world as my daughter trotted out there with her little friends. And they they were cheerleading we're watching them for the first quarter the, the team for the the side that we were on was getting destroyed it, it wasn't close so we're watching a an actual probably graphic beatdown I don't know how this would be rated in the movie industry it wasn't good I feel sorry for everybody on the other side that was watching so we're sitting there watching this well my daughter finished cheering. We quickly get up, and we go to the other side where the team's winning. And it's all cheers, and, and everybody's shouting, this is, this is good stuff over here on this side. Man they're happy. They were happy over there. We went over there to say hi because we half our church was over there because they own half that town. But we're... We're sitting there watching this game with him, but but that sense, do you understand I was on the losing side? And if you remained there, you deserve the lump that's coming. Does that make sense? I understand what being a losing fan is. I'm I'm a Detroit Lions fan. We've never won the Super Bowl. I understand that. And but I stay. I stay. Look at my socks. The Lions. (laughs) I stay. Regardless of the better wisdom and judgment around me. Friend, as comical as that is, please understand the reality. If you align yourself against the Almighty King, if you refuse his benevolent gift of salvation, and team up with the ones that rebelled, you will face the hammer. I beg you, with the better part of wisdom, go over to the winning side. He's won the battle. He rose from the dead, defeating sin, death, and hell. He's provided salvation for you and for me. Turn. Come. Come over. To the side that you know, there's an old, old su- Southern Gospel song called, I Read the Back of the Book and We Win. Come on over to the side. That's why that turn in Matthew 4 is so important. What was Jesus preaching? Repent. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do not face the judgment. Do not align yourself with them. Repent. Turn. Come to Yeshua. Jehovah saves. The last major thing to note is to fulfill prophecies. Give me an idea of how many prophecies Jesus fulfilled. Let me just walk you through let's, uh, let's just go through chapter four real quick. look at 122. all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. look at 2:5. for so it was written by the prophet. Are you in chapter one or chapter two yet? Get there quickly. 215. This was to fill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. look at 217 then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. Keep going. look at 223 right in the middle of the verse. So that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. How about chapter 3, verse 3? For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. Go to chapter 4, 14. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Let's stop at chapter 4. Without even mentioning the dozens of references to the Old Testament. These are just literally ones that say the word Fulfilled. The prophecies are fulfilled and it is amazing the, the spectrum because people are saying you know it could be 30, 40, 60, 100 depending on how you break down the prophecies and how you break it down into each word being a prophecy but it's a lot so look for how Jesus is the fulfillment of what the prophets have been saying for thousands of years like, I don't understand the Old Testament you need to read it you really do if you don't understand how the old and new fit together, let me suggest you read one book. Matthew. He will help you tie it all together. You need to know you're old. Right? When Paul was writing to Timothy, that the Scripture, the Holy Scripture is able to make you wise for salvation. It was at that time they had the Old Testament. Even there you'll find salvation. So read it and know it. But if you want to find how do these two connect, old and new, There's no discontinuity here. Read Matthew, and I think it'll help you line things up. Let me close with two things. I want you to think of the focus of the book and then the main message. Here's a focus, is the cross. You cannot read Matthew 1 without thinking of Matthew 25 and 26 and 27 and 28. Sorry, sorry, 26 through 28. You have to read Matthew 1 with the knowledge of Matthew 26, 27, and 28. There are hints at this throughout the entire book. Look at, go back to Matthew chapter 1. Look at Matthew 1, verse number 22. Go back to Matthew 1, 22. So we get through the genealogy, get through the, the birth of Jesus, it's getting ready to take place. But this is before Jesus is even born. Look at Matthew 1, 22. All this took place to fulfill what the prophet has spoken and what did the prophets say oh sorry I'm going back one Look at verse number 21 I went one too many right before the prophet speaks she will bear a son Mary you should call his name Jehovah saves Jesus what will he do he will save his people from their sins well how's he going to do that go to the cross That's where we have to go. You get to Matthew chapter 2, and and we have these people from foreign nations coming to worship the king, prophesied by a fellow named Isaiah. Nations will come and worship him as king. Gentiles are coming to worship him. But you have to remember Isaiah. Because who is this Messiah that Isaiah wrote about? He was the suffering servant. So where do we have to go? How does he become the Messiah that all these nations will come and worship? Where does he have to go first? The cross. Everything's pointing this direction as you're going. So be thinking, when you're reading Matthew 1, 2, 3, and 4, and 5, and 6, be thinking the cross. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the pure in heart. Why? How is that possible? The cross. You're not going to be blessed by God if Jesus remains in the grave. He has to die, but he has to also rise from the dead. Everything is focused on that point. And also, lastly, the message. What is the message of Matthew? There are many ways that you can cut this up. This is a attempt. A attempt for my mental mind trying to make sense of this book that I think might be helpful for you as you read it. Okay, Jesus is the coming king. He's been granted all authority by the Father and has made us his emissaries to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. Let me repeat that. Jesus, the coming king, has been granted all authority by the Father and has made us his emissaries to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. Let me walk through that by phrase, Jesus is the coming king. Back at Matthew 1, verse 1. The book of the Genesis of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He's the son of David. You're going to read David's name five times in the first chapter. He is the son of David. The, son of, the phrase son of David is used ten times. He is the coming king. He's from the promised line of Abraham. The promised seed that was promised. Also, Jesus has been granted all authority by the Father. Where in Matthew do we see Jesus having authority? Flip over to chapter 9. As you're there, I will read 729. So flip over to chapter 9. As you're turning there, I will read chapter 7, verse 29. So in chapter 729, Jesus was teaching them as one who had authority. Not as the scribes. He had something they don't. Now, if you're in chapter 9, look at verse number 6. Jesus doesn't just teach with authority, but what else does he do with his authority? But that you may know that the Son of Man, there's one of our titles, has authority on earth to do what? Forgive sins. He also has authority to heal people, which he'll do in this very verse. But he has authority not just over the physical, but also authority over all the spiritual. The people recognize, look at 9 verse 8, that this authority is not normal. And it was given to him by the Father. Look at 9.8. Matthew reports, when the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. Flip over to chapter 10, verse number 1. Because Jesus will turn and give this, some of his authority, to his disciples. Look at 10.1. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out to heal every disease. In every affliction, there's a scene in in the new Chosen series, if you watch it, where the disciples go out and they're healing people and they're just like, what on earth is going on? It's kind of this crazy moment. Because that would be crazy, let's be honest. Even if you're a doctor, to walk in and somebody's got a broken leg and you just touch them and their legs healed, you'd be like, that's not normal. You'd be like, what? (laughs) What is going on? He gave them authority. Well, how does he have it to give? Because he has all authority. So he gives his disciples authority. Man, I wish he would give us authority. Oh boy, just hold on to that thought. Because turn to Matthew chapter 28. Turn to Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew chapter 28, look at verse 18. Jesus has now died, risen from the dead, has come back and speaking to his disciples. The eleven in verse number 16 it says and Jesus came to them and said to them in verse 18 all all what? authority all authority where? in heaven? oof that's a lot and on earth like we would have flipped that and put earth first right the small place and then the big but he's like let's just encompass it everywhere has been given to who? to me all authority, all power, I have. What are we supposed to do with this then? Go, what's the next word? Therefore. He has all authority. I see the word therefore, what's it there for? What's he going to do with this authority? Commands us to go And the verb is make disciples. The one verb in these next two verses, it's make disciples, that's it. Go make disciples. Based on what? The command? No. Based on what? His authority. Based on His power. The disciples in chapter 10 went and were healing people and cleansing people and freeing them from demons based on what? The authority granted them by Jesus. Now Jesus turns to his disciples and says, "Uh, the same authority I have, because I got it. All authority is mine. I'm commissioning you with this same power and authority, go make disciples of all nations. So we go then in his power. We go then under his banner. Because you know you can't change a heart. Can you? Can you save somebody? We all know that answer. No, we can't save anybody. Who saves? Jesus saves. Who can change a heart? Jesus can change a heart. So we're not the ones doing the work. Who, who has the power to do the work? The one who has all power, the one who has all authority. But he's commissioned us under this banner, under his authority, under his power, do this one thing. I beg you, go make disciples with my authority and power. Go do this. Our ability to make disciples is the basis on all, that, on all authority that he has. Jesus is the coming king who has been granted All authority by the Father. And connected to that verse, we just read in that line, and he made us his emissaries. What is an emissary? An emissary is one sent to fulfill a task. It's your representative. You're an ambassador. Whatever term you want to put in there. You're a witness. But you're not just a witness. You're a a witness commanded with a purpose. He's made us his emissaries. In chapter 28, we are sent To Go make disciples But but even before then Look back at chapter 5 Look back at chapter 5 Back to the Sermon on the Mount Back to a text That you and I Probably know real well In the Beatitudes Blessed are the poor Blessed are Blessed are those And then he gets to Verse number 11 And then it changes Blessed are you So right in verse number 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then we have a bookend in verse number 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteous sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you see that? So we kind of have these two bookends. And then we get to verse number 11, and now Jesus is going to turn not just to the general public, but he's going to turn to you directly, personally. It's like he's speaking to just one person in the crowd. Blessed are you when... Others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. How can we be blessed or happy when we're persecuted? I didn't know Bassett was going to be here today. If you don't know Bassett, he's sitting over here. You can talk to him later. Bassett's from Pakistan, and he's working on, Lord willing, trying to go there to do missions, and he had Mary Nicely get up real early. And Mary, and even uh I don't want to poke fun at you, Mary. Um, Marion had to use technology too in order to make this work. So Mary's teaching, teaching here or talking to the church in Pakistan here, um, from good old nicely town road. We we don't understand persecution like the church in Pakistan does, and if you've read anything in the news over the, the coming last coming months, it's been atrocious. It's been atrocious. You just read Pakistan churches attack. You're going to see video upon video that devastates you. We don't understand persecution like that. I bet you today there are churches in Pakistan still meeting. Is that fair assessment? We cancel for snow. We must meet. Blessed are you, even then. To be able to sing about the joy of the Lord being our strength. Even in persecution, you, it can be done, and we know it can be done, because it's being done in our, in our universe. But it continues, verse 12, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great for heav- in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What did prophets do in the Old Testament? If you're going to summarize, what did they do? They Spoke and pointed people to the Lord. Go back to Him. Did they always respond right? Nope. But they were pointing people, go to Him. Go to Him. Follow Him. Love Him. Jesus does something interesting, though, with this verse because He's speaking directly to who? It's personal, me. And who does He compare you to? The prophets. I'm, not, I'm no prophet, aren't you? Aren't you supposed to be pointing him out to others? Follow him. Be like him. Love him. You already have this sense of, in Matthew 5, we are his emissaries. We're the ones sent to tell others to point. It's him. That's, that's the guy. That's the one. That's Matthew 5. Flip over to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to see this again. In Matthew chapter 11, you have this strange account where John the Baptist seems like something's off here. I jokingly say, like, his, he brought his eschatological chart, and he's looking at it. It's like, Jesus isn't lining up things the way I got on my chart here. And that's sometimes that's problematic. When we get charts on, we're like, it must be this way, and then Jesus doesn't work the way that we want him to. You're like, man, what is going on? I thought I had this figured out. So John sends messengers to Jesus in Matthew 11. And it's like, are you really the one? Like, what did you say back in chapter 3, John? You're pointing him out. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Then it's like, man, things aren't following on my timeline. There's a reason for that. We'll get there, Lord willing. What's going on? So Jesus, we'll get to what he says about John, but in verse number 11, he's speaking of John in correcting John's theology, in correcting John's timeline, Jesus says in Matthew 11, 11, Truly I say to you, among the, those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Well, how is that possible? He's better than Moses? David? Isaiah? Elijah? Yes? Because John can point to Jesus in a way none of them could. Moses could point to the cloud. Follow the cloud. Elijah could tell you about the still, small voice. David could tell you about God's mercy. John the Baptist is walking in a river, and he's like, that's him. I mean, that's him. He's, that's, the, that's, that's the guy. I mean, it's not like, He's somewhat here. He's partially, but he's here. I can't. I can't even untie his sandals. This is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I mean, you, uh, David, you thought about what he was like. Moses, you dreamed about what he. It's him. He's right there. How cool would that be? That's why John the Baptist is so great. Keep reading the verse. Yet, oh, wait a second. John's so great, but, but there's w- what's happening now. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven, are you the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? If you are, we'll talk about pride maybe next week. But you know, So maybe if I don't find myself in the greatest, then maybe I find myself in the pool of the least. But that's still okay because I'm in the kingdom. Right? So maybe do you find yourself here in the least? Yet, yet, I will tell you, we have yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven, is greater than John the Baptist? Than he? What? How are we, us numbskulls, the least of the kingdom of heaven? How are we greater than Moses, David, Elijah, Isaiah? Who do you got? Mary, Ruth? Who? What do you got? A couple names. How are we better than these people that are in Hebrews chapter 11 with just stories of great faith? We can point to Jesus in a better way, in a more full way than even John the Baptist. Do you remember the story of John the Baptist? He doesn't get to see the crucifixion. He doesn't get to see the resurrected Lord. He doesn't get to know about how he turned the world upside down in the book of Acts. It maybe faints and echoes that he would have known. He does not get to know what we know from the book of Revelation how our Savior will rule and reign over all and make all things new. We know more than John the Baptist. We have the ability to point out, that's him. This is the one. You can do that with all authority. Based on the commission of Jesus Christ. You have the ability to point him out to others. How are you? It's, he's right there. You don't know? This is the one who saves people from their sin. He saved me. He can save you. Moses could point to a cloud. Again, Elijah could, a still small voice, but we have the ability to point people to the full revelation of Jesus Christ. At our, Ma- at our conference on Matthew, the speaker used this text to speak about our duty to share the gospel. And, and he said this statement afterwards. I'm going to read it to you. But I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't like it. It's hard. It's like your doctor gives you medicine and it's like a horse pill. You're like, I don't know if I can swallow that. Speaking on our duty as Christians to witness, he says, It is not credible to be a Christian and not point out who Jesus is. Let me repeat that. It is not credible to be a Christian and not point out who Jesus is. If you truly know the Savior, if you've truly been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb you are obligated to tell others the good news. Thus, he rightly notes, if you aren't doing this, shouldn't we be asking ourselves some hard questions? Have you truly been forgiven? Have you truly been redeemed? Are you truly his? Because if you love him, you will keep his commandments. Can you name me the top three commands that you could think of that Jesus gave you to follow? One of them is going to probably be, go make disciples of all nations. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself, but go make disciples. If you love him, you'll obey. Hence he says it's not credible to be a Christian and not point out Jesus is. Just because you haven't witnessed in the last month or two does not mean you're not saved. But it should make us evaluate, shouldn't it? Why would I not want to point out who Jesus is to others? Well, I could offend them. Friend, Christian. If if they don't know him. If they're not aligned on his team, if they're they're on the same team as Satan, they've rebelled against the king, they will feel his wrath. They will go through eternal torment, and we're worried about offense. How we say it, yes. When we say it, yes. Be careful. But we have to say it. This is the one. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. May we do this. The last two lines... Mentioned in this that we are to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, right? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So Jesus is the coming king and has been granted all authority by the Father and has made us emissaries to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. May we do this. So what does all this mean for us today? First off, friend, I I know we talked about judgment, and, and I know that's hard to hear, but the question that you have to answer is will you face judgment or will you repent? Will you face judgment, or will you repent? We saw a number of verses that spoke about judgment to come, but we also read that Jesus' turning point in Matthew 4 was that he he turned to preach repentance. You can come. What did we read in Matthew chapter 1? That Mary would bear a son, who called his name Jesus, Jehovah saves, and he will save his people from their sins friend would you come to him he will save he will save weekly we walk through how how you can know this you walk through the abcs you a admit that you and i that we are sinners that we acknowledge that we've gone astray we we all easily do that we believe that jesus is the christ the son of god he did come he did die he did rise he did ascend on high and he still lives today to intercede on behalf of his own and then, then we call out to the lord call to the Lord to, to save us from our sin, yes, but also we, we call on Him because we also want to be in a relationship with Him, to walk with Him, that He would be our Father, that we could be His child. I encourage you come to the Savior today. If you have questions on how you can know that, uh, see myself, see a Christian friend you came with, we'd love to walk you through that. For those that are here and claim to know this God and King, the Christ, can I ask you two questions? One, are you faithfully Are you faithfully pointing others to Jesus? Like the old middle school checkbox, yes or no. Are you faithfully pointing others to Jesus? As I read that quote, it's not credible to be a Christian and not point out who Jesus is. Christian, are you pointing others to Christ? If not, then we have some retooling to do. So let me ask you, would you by faith trust that Jesus does truly have all authority and power? Would you by faith trust that? And Then by faith, would you rely on his authority and power to help you make disciples? If I believe he does have all authority and power, then will I by faith trust that he will help me make disciples through his authority and power? He's not asking you to do it on your own. Remember, we can't change hearts, but He's commissioning you to do it on His authority and with His power and help. By faith, trust Him to help you fulfill the sharing of His good news. Lastly, Christian, have you sinned this week? Have you blown it? That sin that you promised Jesus you'd never do again, did you do it again? If that's the case, Christian, how thankful are you that Jesus came to save people from their sin? I mean, we look in the mirror, and we're a sorry lot. The accuser of the brethren knocking on our door day after day, day after day, day after day, and we fail, and we get back up, and then we fail, and we try to be that just man rising up again, and we fail, and we fail. But praise be to God. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, He has forgiven you past, present, and future sins. Yes, confess. Yes, make it right. Get your heart back aligned to His heart. Do all of those things, but thank Him for saving you from sin. Let's do that right now. Let's quiet our hearts. Let's take 30 seconds to a minute here. And let's just give thanks to the Lord. Friend, if you're here you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I, I beg you, encourage you to come to Him. If you're a Christian, maybe you do need to ask the Lord to help you be a credible witness. Or perhaps you just need to confess the sin that maybe you haven't f- confessed yet. But all of us, I encourage you, if you're a Christian here, all of us, encourage you to thank Jesus for saving us from our sin. Let's do that now. The music team will come up here, I'll pray, and we'll sing. Jesus, Jehovah saves. We thank you for being the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, the promised seed that will crush the serpent's head. Father, we thank you for sending the son to be the savior of the world and granting him all authority and power. Spirit, we thank you directing and guiding us into truth, because your word is truth. Help us to follow you and obey you as we are. But for those that are here that may not know you as Lord and Savior, God, I beg that you'd work in their hearts and help them to see the delight that is Jesus. How great you are. But for us, as Christians here at Lexington Baptist Church, When we leave, would you help us to go and point out to others who you are? Well, that may mean there needs to be a life change in some of us because maybe our testimony has stunk in the workplace. Perhaps our testimony has stunk in our community. Or help us to make it right, but help us to continue to point out who you are to others. Lord, as as much as we struggle, And as we are not perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect, God, we want to praise you for coming to save sinners. Jesus, thank you for being the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In your name we pray.